Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And now, back to The Week That Was with Joe Palmisano on News Talk 1480 WHBC. Too much for the man. Fake it. So he's leaving she did a nice job with the national anthem. He's come to know. Yes, she did. I love Brian's he He's leaving. He said he's going, going back to find. Going back to find. Ooh, ooh, I always wanted to be a pip. Wait, 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 here we go. The world he left behind. Not so long. Yes, I'm gonna be right by his side. I'll be with him. Oh, no, you will. Even on the midnight train. I'd rather live in his world. Okay, that's enough. (laughs) I got the, I have the pip, I have the every single Gladys Knight song down. I I know all the pip music the pip background i really hope someone had their alarm set to like go off on their you know if they still have the old you know clock radio thing that you could set in your yeah. your alarm clock that and they have it set to go off at 1480 and when they woke up all they heard was Hoo-hoo. or or well that's better than if they'd have had it set a little bit earlier and they were heard about diarrhea and oily stools <laughs> at 8:20 in the morning you know that's a take that commercial off in the morning that should be like a late night something I as i was know. telling you we all know that those things happen but we don't have to hear I about them. Hear them i know just say something that it causes problems digestive problems it's like just you're leave sitting it, there and it's like it you're like wow it's i don't want to hear about oily stools and and you're like look we don't I, have to get that serious here like and uh, diarrhea i know I there's two like, that can play okay, at that game but i just ate breakfast trying to keep down those burritos that i had gosh yeah so woohoo sounded better than that that's how we let into our show it's like uh, uh, i'm gagging 17 degrees outside jay david probably threw up his egg mcmuffin (laughs) he's got an egg mcmuffin by the way i wanted i got this note from uh frank fashoni judge frank fashoni and i wanted to bring this up to you fatal drug overdoses uh, continued rising in Ohio to a record 4,854 last year. That's a 20% increase from the year before, folks. Um, we talk about this all the time. It, it's just not, things aren't changing with this. So 
most of this is caused by a drug called fentanyl that's mixed with the heroin that is absolutely lethal. And many people have asked, what is fentanyl? And how does this all go on? So, uh, thanks to Judge Forshoni and many others, uh, Keith Hohadl, Sarah Alton, others, uh, there is a free, the uh, Stop Heroin from Killing Committees, Fifth Symposium. You, you'd hope that as this keeps going on that they don't need the symposium anymore, but we still do. So the Fifth Symposium on uh, Stop Heroin from Killing Committee is going to be held at Malone University Johnson Center Thursday, February 28th. Uh, from 6 to 8.30 p.m. It is free to the public. The theme is 15 Minutes Can Save a Life. And uh, speakers are Judge Frashoni, Sarah Alton, and Keith Hohadl, uh, CEO of ComQuest. And, and uh, that's something that is, is very important, and you're invited to go to that. That is February 28th at the Malone University Johnson Center from 6 to 8.30 Um that's an important symposium. It is 17 degrees outside. I think you're looking for a high today of 25. It's it's cold. It is. It yeah, is. went from what, like 63 on Thursday to like yeah. 17? Yeah. That's that's ridiculous. You know, I, I read a story this week, John. Did you? Yeah, it said even, this was a study that they made, even adults sleep better when they're rocked to sleep. That doesn't surprise me. No. It doesn't surprise me because it wasn't long ago, probably about four or five years ago, I was hitting the head with a rock. I was out cold. I slept like a baby. <laughs> ah, So it works. <laughs> I can testify. You were rocked to sleep. Yes. Very well. See, I was about to give you some sort of like scientific answers to like say like I was literally going to say to you, I'm sure it's a comforting feeling, yeah, because it's something that you experienced as a kid. It You're was a- comforting. I mean, there was no drowsiness, no nothing. I just was out. It's better I than Benadryl. Out. I woke up like two hours later. I was fine. Had a little bit of a headache. You looked down at the pillow. There was a pool of blood sitting yeah, there. there. A little bit of blood, but mm-hmm. it wasn't a pillow. Oh. <laughs> it wasn't a pillow. It was concrete. <laughs> it, was, it was outside the diamond grill of an Akron. Oh. Johnny Kubabachi. But, but I know it works. I know it works. So that's a that's a true thing. You had the old, you had the old North Hill gang come after you. <laughs> they wouldn't come after me. That's right, you're Paisan up there. It'd be the other side of town. <laughs> Firestone Park. <laughs> There's no Italians over in Firestone That's Park. That's why. <laughs> Firestone Park. Goodyear uh, Heights. Uh, <laughs> I just went to the Vitis the other day. Yeah. Got myself a sandwich and stuff for lunch. I still love going in there. Oh, it's a great place. Just the smell of it. Oh, yeah. The cheeses. The, pro- the, the provolone. The, I told you the, the little we're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go up to the guy. He's he's sitting but behind the the thing, and he's like, "What do you want? Hey, what do you want?" Yeah. And I'm like, "Oh, I'll take uh, take some of the mozzarella." He's like, "You mean the mozzarella?" <laughs> and I'm like, 
Yeah, I don't have to pronounce it correctly. Just give it to me. I'm like, uh, give me some of the the capicol, the gabagool, capagool, and I was capacola, and I was like, is that you mean the gabagool, the brajut? (laughs) (laughs) You want a nice brajol? You want the brajut? (laughs) What is this, mom? It's brajut. I told you the one lady I went in there. I was getting Italian wedding soup for myself for lunch. Yeah, and she was like, she was like, I don't understand. Why do all the kids put the hot sauce on their eggs I know, today? I know. I know. And I, I was know. like, I was like, it tastes good. And she was like, she was like, don't do that no more. Just eat the egg. <laughs> you sound Russian. <laughs> oh, I, it's, it's probably a combination. So there's, of, a, there's, and and it's okay. There's Russian people that could probably work there. But that look, that sounded. That sounded a little bit Russian. You got off the Italian real quick. All right, we've got to do the contest, but we're not going to do it now. (laughs) You should have seen John's face. He just stared a hole through me. He shot a look at me when I said, we're going to do our contest now. Like, what? I'm controlling this board. When we come back, I can... I I know every song that was ever made by Motown. Every one of these days, we're going to do a sh- part of a show where you could test me. I know every single song. I just play like three seconds of each song, and I would know. I would tell you who it was. We should do that. That'd be fun. We'll do it one day because I, I there isn't anybody out there that can stump me on Motown music. No one. I am the I am the foremost, foremost authority on Step Motown aside, Barry music. Gordy. Joe Palmasano is in town. Well, Barry Gordy created it. He knows more about it than me, but I know I, I, I know everything about Motown music. Everything. We'll be back with more Joe Palmasano right after this. All right, it's contest time real quick. Let's go. This is Supreme Court themed because where is Ruth? Where is Ruth Bader Ginsburg? Anyway, so it's a it's a Supreme Court themed trivia question. Trifecta. First answer is Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan. Second answer is nine. Nine. Number nine. Third answer is Thurgood Marshall. Thurgood Marshall. So Ronald Reagan, nine. Thurgood Marshall. Later on in the show, I'll give you questions. If you get them right, you're going to win a $50 gift card to Bell Stores. Ooh. It's a lot of coffee. It's a lot of gas. Well... Back to that commercial. <laughs> oh no! So it's a lot of gas. Uh, yeah, you could. I think you could use it for that, can't you? You Bell can. Stores? Hi, Jay okay. David. Hi, Jay David. You know, there's the uh, there's the one Bell stores out at um, out in Jackson area. Yeah. And I went by it one day, and I looked up at the sign, and it said, "Buy six cappuccinos, get one free," or like, "Buy six cappuccinos, get five free." And I was like. All at once? It was like, first off, why would you need six? Why would you need eleven cappuccinos? Like, know. like, where are you going? That you know, unless there's a boardroom meeting somewhere that you're going to, where people sure, love El Pacino's. 
Oh, oh. Hey, I got to get to this. Yes. Let's look at this. Let's look at this. Stanford noted it. These are the wide receivers going to the combine. Okay. Stanford, Notre Dame, Mississippi, Oklahoma, Iowa State, Ohio State, Syracuse, Michigan State, Auburn, Ohio State, Wake Forest, Malone University. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. This kid is 6'2", 210. He's also a two-time national, all of, or two-time All-American in track. And is one of 336 players throughout the country selected to go to the Combine. And it's almost ironic that now f- football's gone at Malone. I, I, I really hope he has a great showing at the Combine, and I hope that somehow the Browns are able to end up with him if he gets drafted. I think that'd be so cool for him to have gone to school at Malone and then go an hour north yeah. and play football. And he's from Reynoldsburg. So he came an hour north to Malone, or two hours. Two hours north, and then he'd go an hour north. Yeah. He'd do it all right there on I-71. Wouldn't that be something? That'd be really apparently, cool. Apparently, this kid is a blazer. He's 6'2". He's 210. I mean, that's that's... That's an NFL-ready size. I mean, to get invited to the Combine out of Malone University? Wasn't it uh, Devin Jordan who was working with the wide receivers a lot out there? I know he was on Fred's staff. Yes, 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 yes. And I mean, that's true. Devin was you know great wide receiver at Maslin yeah. and then went to Ohio State and didn't play a ton at Ohio State, but again, understands the technique and, and what it takes to separate yourself yeah. as a wide receiver and I know he worked really hard with Ashton and I know he's he's very proud of the kid so you know I mean I I wish him all the best after everything that's happened it would be poetic justice for this kid to be taken in like the second round wouldn't that be something you know that after would be everything great. that would be great and so we wish him the best he's going to the combine three uh, and so you know I just hope he has a great combine wouldn't that be awesome yeah, well, all the people talking about this kid from Malone University. Um, I'm sure they'll mention. They probably know. Maybe they don't. Well, it's like the years that that Mountain Union or John Carroll or some of the OAC schools have had that. You know, one elite talented kid that's an NFL ready kid. But today. I don't know any of them who ever went to the combine. It's a good point. Most of know. them, most of them, kind of fought their way up a roster and ended yeah. up somewhere. I don't know any of them ever went to a combine. I don't remember a, uh, a Mount Union guy. I don't even know if if Pierre Garcon and them went to the combine. Gosh, Pierre Garcon, that's so that's I, so crazy. It yeah, it it, it truly is. But thinking about is, how he played it in the career he's carved, that's amazing. Yeah. So what else is going on? You had the know. Super Bowl last weekend. Oh, I'm going to tell you what. I said this to Kenny and JT. I don't know if you heard that or not, but they they got on and they said, oh, what did you think of the Super Bowl? Like, oh, it was terrible. I said, that was the best Super Bowl I've ever watched in my life. That was the best Super Bowl I have ever seen. That was the best one out of all of them. Defense. 
uh, it, just the whole strategy. Yeah. I mean, here's what I said, and here's what I believe. I was on the edge of my seat watching that because it was it was two geniuses. Yeah. And and there were so many things going on in that from from uh, from New England running almost a six man front the entire game. Yep. Playing zone, mixing it up, bringing people, standing people up, dropping people out, the whole thing. And then with uh, the Rams, they were they they had Brady fooled multiple times. You, you don't fool Tom Brady. They no. fooled Tom Brady. Yeah, they made it look like man dropped into zone. Sometimes they looked like zone stayed in man. You know, they were just mixing it up on him when he threw that hitch route and thought that guy was going to be wide open, the receiver, early in the game. Yeah. That was one of the most brilliant defensive calls and schemes I have seen. Well, and and, I mean, credit the defensive minds in that game. Wade Phillips for the LA Rams did a great job, even though they lost. I mean, you give up 13 points in a Super Bowl with that offense you expect to win. And then on the the Patriots side, of course, everyone knows that Belichick is just a he's a defensive mastermind. I and, mean, and the things they did offensively, even the things that that the Rams tried to do with staying in the staying in the huddle until the the uh, yeah. microphone to the defense went out at I know. fifteen seconds. I know, not letting them make adjustments, trying to do everything they could to stop it. I really thought it was interesting that. As the game progressed on, the defenses, they stayed at that high a level. Yep. They really never lost that touch. Well, I think the only time they did was that possession where the Rams gave up the score. Yes. Other than that, though, things were even across the board, and the Patriots were about to give up a score, too. If Cooks had caught that ball, that game would have been a lot different. Remember late? The interception? No, it was the play before the interception. See, everybody remembers the interception now because Gilmore made a great play on the ball. Well, they and they blitzed. They, they did. They, no, the they brought the house blitz. on they that. They brought the house. Yeah, but then on the play before that, it was either the play before that or, or the play before that. Or the play before that. Could have been. Uh, or Goff, the series before that. Goff, Maybe it was a game before that. Go ahead, I'm sorry. <laughs> six weeks before that. Um, Goff threw to Cooks on what seemed like a go route down the sideline, and Cooks had the ball right in his hands. Oh, yes, that's right. And he dropped it. That's right, I do remember Had that. he caught that ball. I think his arm was knocked out, though. No, because they showed, and, and Harmon did come over and provide some some you know resistance to it, but it wasn't enough for a guy like Brandon Cooks, who's a pretty good wide receiver, to drop a ball like that. Yeah. And that was the best throw Goff had made all night. I agree with you. I remember that now. Because... It, I kept saying all night that I was frustrated by the Rams' offense because, one, they abandoned the run way too quickly. They did. Way too quickly. And then because they abandoned the run, they were trying to go deep with passes all night and throw towards the sidelines. Yeah, it was ugly. And I kept saying to myself, throw the ball over the middle of the field. Get somebody in space. Like they were doing with Edelman. Yeah, Yeah. find a way to, to open up the middle of the field. And they never did it. No, and, and that's and why maybe it's because New England took that away. But but, but eighteen rushes, 
18 rushes with in a, a guy game? like Todd Gurley on your team and too? a guy like C.J. Anderson. You can't do that. 18 that, rushes. That will be. This will go down as one of the biggest mysteries to me of what happened to Todd Gurley. Well, what happened to the play calling? What happened? See, and the thing about it is, they talk about. Uh, you know, the Rams being it's a boy genius, this guy's brilliant. He got out coached. That staff got out coached. I mean, look at this. How was Donald a factor? No, not really. Was Sue a factor? He was more of a factor than Donald. Yeah, but that's because they were going after Donald. They neutralized him and they made Sue make plays. I, I just, I think that the game plan throughout the entire Offense, defense, everything. I mean, New England rushed the ball for 100, almost 150 yards. I know. Well, and, and I know that you were very high on him when he was at Georgia, but Sony Michelle truly showed the type of back that he is. Absolutely. You know, and, and it's amazing to me that the Patriots, and, and I've told this to so many people throughout the week, that from the time that they won their first Super Bowl to now, the one constant in it all is Tom Brady and, and Belichick. It's the kind of the two constants sure. and McDaniels for the majority of them as well. But you look throughout time and they've always had a different back in all of those games and always had a different, you know, lead rusher. And now I think they have a guy who's going to be a dependable, you know, year after year lead rusher kind of guy who they can bring in and say, you're going to get a thousand yards for us. And we're going to be confident in that from you. Well, and how about their fullback? I said, I told, Oh yeah, that block he made. I told people, that he was going to be the difference in the game. And and he, you know, how many teams still run the fullback? Not a many. traditional fullback. Not many. But they do it, and they do it well. That guy's a beast. Well, and I thought that the biggest play of the game was made when Brady hit that pass. To Gronk? Right in the coverage. It was just, he couldn't have thrown that ball any better. That was a Baker Mayfield-esque kind of throw it was it really was i know isn't that good news it is well and and it excited me watching you know what excited me watching that game more than anything joe is that in years past when i've watched the super bowl i've said dang the browns aren't anywhere close to the talent that's on the field out there i came away and watched this game and i thought to myself a couple adjustments in the offseason a couple of the right pickups the Browns could be in this game next year. The Browns could potentially be here next year. A couple drafts, and they've got a ton. They've got cap space up the wazoo, so they've got... They are, for the first time in my lifetime, because I wasn't around for the Bernie years, but in the first time in my lifetime, I watched a Super Bowl and thought to myself, the Browns could be a capable team to get here next year. Don't say capable. They Same. could. They could be there. I mean, I feel confident about it. I really do. Yeah. I because do with, with with Baker leading the charge offensively and all the weapons that he has, and who knows what they're going to pick up in the draft or sign in the offseason. I know. I want him really badly. Too. Ashton. Ashton Kushner. You mean uh, Doolin. Abso- yeah, Ashton Doolin. You said Ashton Kushner. <laughs> no, I, I. But Butler. That kid from Iowa State. Yeah, he's a beast. Oh. He's a beast. 6'6". Six, six. What great, what great, and as I told you, the thing that impresses me most about him 
is the way he he follows the ball and he high points the ball and he goes and he gets it. Now, now I have to bring something up that just came to my mind. I don't know how much time we have. Probably uh, not long. A couple minutes. All right. You, your age, because of your age, you only know the New England Patriots as always being successful. 18 years. Yeah. Always being successful. So all the people in New England, all the young people in New England never knew. Yeah, that they were really not a very good franchise. For yeah. Her. And they always, and you always see the Browns as losers. Yep. It used to be the other way around. So what happens when it changes? Because eventually, Belichick will be gone. Eventually, Brady will be gone. Eventually, every team in the NFL goes through highs and lows. They do. And they will be, New England will be down. And the Browns are looking like they're going up. How absurd is that going to look to people? In the, are, they, are the young people prepared for the fact that it isn't always going to be this way. Well, and and the thing that always gets me is that people always put down the Browns, and and understandably so. They've been bad for not only bad but dysfunctional. Yeah, they've been bad, dysfunctional, you know, out of sorts for a very long time. But I always say you go back to the origins of football with you know the mergers of the NFL and the AFL and the Paul Brown years and things like that. The Browns were football royalty at one point, you know, and for years they were looked at as being one of the classiest organizations in the league. And they're finally, they're finally going to earn that respect again after all these years. It's just like anything else. It's what have you done for me lately? Yeah. And they, they need to realize. And, and at the time they were great, there was only one bar on their helmets. I know. And sometimes not even a bar. And that bar was put on the helmet by their head coach, yes, Paul Brown, because their quarterback got a cut on his face, and yes. he didn't want that anymore. Yes, very good point. Very good point. The face mask. Now it's a cage with a visor. Some of these face masks, they're just stupid to me. They have like eight hundred bars running across. I still have my my helmet from from college, and it was it's it's easy to I mean, it just I fold it up, put it in a drawer, the leather. <laughs> It's still moldable. I've been meaning to tell you your head's kind of out of shape. Yeah, that's because of the leather helmet and getting rocked to sleep. Both of them did it. All right, we'll be back, and we're gonna con- we're gonna come back, and we're gonna get in touch. We're gonna talk to Doctor E. Arthur Self. He is the uh, former president of Malone College and the man who started football. And we're gonna get his remembrances of why he started it, what he what he saw as a reason to do that. Um, and and just kind of remembering what it was like getting it going. Stay tuned. We're going to continue with E. Arthur, Doctor E. Arthur Self, former President Malone. Right after this, it's the week that was with Joe Palmasano. As I said in the opening of the show uh, last week, we uh, I interviewed a. Coach Fred Thomas, a uh, couple of the first players in Malone's football team, um, and we talked a lot uh, about what it was like in the first few years starting football at Malone University. And and uh, 
one name came up probably three or four times uh, through that conversation by both by many people by most of the people I interviewed and that was uh, Dr. E. Arthur Self President Self was the president of Malone University and Malone College uh, in much of the growth of the early 90s and part of that growth was the beginning of the football program and Dr. Self is uh, in Arizona enjoying the warmth I hope and and Dr. Self, I thank you so much for taking time this morning, getting up early, being on the show with us. My pleasure, Joe. It, good to talk to you as always. And I, I wanted to ask you, as you went through the growth, we went through, I was part of that, I was in it, but the the part of the growth at Malone with the new dorms, the new buildings, the new vision kind of, of Malone, why was football uh, an important step for you in the growth of Malone? Sure, Joe. I'll be happy to answer that. Uh, I do, however, want to uh, give a shout-out to uh, Northeast Ohio, to Canton, the North Canton, and Stark County. We had the great pleasure of living there in the very late uh, 80s and early 90s. And, and I want to thank the general community, and particularly Malone, for the way that uh, they surrounded uh, my family. Um, and, and we just had a great experience. And I just want to say thank you. That was uh, a very high time in my life, and I, and I look back very fondly upon what took place there. And uh, I just want to say thanks, Joe. Oh, you're welcome. I, I'm sure everybody, and, and I'm sure everybody remembers and, and feels that same emotion towards you. Well, in spirit of full disclosure, I, I wish your listeners could uh, be with me in my office here and uh, to look around my office and see all the Malone memorabilia I had hanging. Hmm. Uh, I have a big picture uh, that says, Welcome to Malone College. It was uh, on my inauguration day, the 13th of October. That was Friday, the 13th of October. Wow. Uh, we, overcame, <laughs> we overcame whatever uh, misgivings there was about Northeast Ohio weather on the 13th of October. We were outside. And there's a big sign that says, Welcome to Malone College. And I've always found Malone to be a very, very welcoming place. I also have, Joe, uh, a hat that I wore the first day that we introduced you as the head football coach. Mm. I wore one. You wore one. Yes. It was the first uh, artifact that we created uh, for football. I have another Malone College Pioneer hat. Um, I have a number of pictures hanging on my walls. And one of the, my most valued pictures is of the very first day uh, first press day we had in Old Foster Stadium. You and your coaches and assistants and Hal Smith, the athletic director, um, and 99 men were there at that first day. And I have the good pleasure of crawling right in the middle of them, and I'm surrounded by your coaches and yourself and others from the university and these 99 guys, and it was a real highlight of my life. So I just want to give that first disclosure. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you. Now, why, why in your, when you were looking back then and the growth and your vision and the vision for the university and the, uh, the college at that time, why football? Well, I felt at that time that not playing football at the collegiate level in Ohio was like not playing basketball in Indiana 
or not playing hockey at a college in Minnesota. It just kind of comes with the territory. Uh, now, Malone had considered this, I think, in the late 50s in, to some degree, determining that, that football was not a match or uh, really a, the sort of thing they wanted to do at that point. But the time had come, and there was a point of readiness. Uh, because of, of success at the at the collegiate level in Ohio, you know Ohio has a, a, about a 360 colleges. It has 129 or 130 um, private colleges. There are lots of colleges in Ohio, and we were one of the schools that didn't play football. And I think at at that particular time, you found Malone as a very opportunity conscious environment. And what I mean by opportunity is that, that our community, our faculty and our staff, uh, students, alumni, administration, trustees, we saw an opportunity. And I define an opportunity really as a set of circumstances that enable possibilities to happen. And we saw a possibility. And we thought it would make sense. This was the decision that was not made in isolation. Um, when you're an academic community, you look to the academic community for research. So I asked a number of faculty members, and uh, we had a, a feasibility study, and that feasibility study indicated, excuse me, Joe, <clears throat> excuse my, uh, my throat this morning. That's all right. Uh, we did a feasibility study, and Dr. Uh, Dwayne Watson was the head of that committee. We had other faculty, and we really did do, I think, a very fine job of assessing the opportunity. And what we found was we found a community, a region, a, a county that was open to our kind of education. Now, Malone education is a different kind of education. It's not a garden variety education. It's not like everybody else. And one of the things that, that we needed to do is to say football will help us make ourselves distinctive it will help us be relevant. It will build identity. And so we conducted this, uh, this feasibility study, and I went really to Cleveland, to Akron, to Canton, and south of, of Canton, and I, I asked people in the know. Um, I, I went and talked to Sam Ritigliano, former coach of the Browns. He was coaching at, uh, at Liberty University at that time, and I said, Sam, Sam, you know Northeast Ohio. Tell me what you think of football at Malone. And I went and talked to Ozzie Newsom. Everybody knows who Ozzie Newsom is and, and what he's been able to do um, in, in pro athletics and, and in football. I asked Ozzie, okay, Ozzie, you're a Christian guy. You know who Malone is. Tell me about football at Malone. What's it look like to you? And I also went to uh, the Pro Football Hall of Fame luncheon. Joe, does that, does that still take place, that luncheon? It does. It does. Oh, man, I just, <laughs> I just love that environment. I know. I know. You know, it, I always, the times that I went, and I was the first Malone president, I think, to address that body, uh, and the general football community was intrigued, and, and we tried to do things that, that were uh, attractive. And in fact, you know, if you remember this, uh, during the Pro Football Hall of Fame game, the two years prior to starting Malone football, we hired a plane that drug a trail, you know, one of those planes. Yes, I remember that. Behind it. And, and we, two years before and one year before and the year that we started to play, we, we flew that plane hauling that trail, that banner that said Malone's going to have football. Mm. And, and we did that at precisely the time that the national anthem was being played and everybody was looking 
at, at the flag, which was on the east end of the field, and I told the pilot, man, fly by that flag as close as you can get to it within safety parameters. <laughs> and, and when people are looking at that flag and the national anthem is being played, that Malone plane with that Malone football banner, I want everybody to see it and I want everybody to know. Yeah, so this, it, this decision to do football was not behind closed doors. There was a sophisticated feasibility study that involved our people. We even talked to John Banker. John Banker, really, he was a Malone grad. He worked for the, uh, the Hall for many, many years. And I said, John, you've been here. You're a Kent resident. You know football. What do you think about football here? So that, those are some of the reasons we got started. In, and I think what would happen here is that, that starting football at Malone would make Malone more opportunity conscious. It would enable Malone to think differently about itself. Um, and it would enable the host community, Canton, Stark County, Northeast Ohio, to begin to think differently about Malone. Those are just a few of the reasons why we started, Joe. Now, the, the other part of it is what it did... I, um and, and tell me if I'm wrong, but Malone, prior to that, was uh, predominantly students who were already Christian, from Christian families, who were coming there to get nurtured. At that point, there was a large influx of young men, one of which, who is an amazing man today, that never went to church, never set foot in a church, and came to know Christ through Malone College. Sure. So sure. it became a it became a, a, almost a, a part of an evangelical outreach, also. Sure. Well, well, there there were more things taking place at Malone than just football. Yes. Because when when Malone college was founded on 25th Street, there was a change in enrollment policy. And the enrollment policy basically said, we will accept people from any denomination, from any walk of life, from any ethnic background, which they've done for years, any gender. We want students here to have our kind of education. And the decision was made that we would have open enrollment. By, what, by, by that I mean that there was no test of Christianity or being a follower of Christ to be admitted to Malone College. And when that took place, then it set Malone in a different context. It was more open to people that were not of faith, that had no knowledge about the saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is or any profession of faith. And that decision took place. Now, when football came in, there were, there were a number of guys that, that had that church background, that had a family background, mm -hmm. but you were exactly right. There were a bunch of guys in those early years, and, I, and I'm sure even now, that, that didn't have a clue what it meant to come to a Christian college to be loved, to be educated, to be nurtured, um, and to be introduced to Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what we wanted. So if, if the mix, if there were less Christians or more Christians, on that, those early days and even now, it didn't make much difference to us. We were open to all who wanted to live by our standards and receive our mark. And that's one of the issues that I think is really important here, Joe, is that when we started, and, and because Malone has always wanted to make 
a mark on his students to say, you are special people under God. You can be more than you ever thought you could be under God. So that's, that's the environment into which we, we adopt the football. And, and the other part of it is, is that in, in this world of sports, the business-like environment, the coldness, the, the kind of letting things slide as long as you can perform on the field – Malone and places like Malone, like Geneva and other schools like it, Taylor, that have football can show that you can play with intensity, you can play with uh, toughness, tenacity, and still be a beacon in an environment that has been flawed somewhat. And we, I think we did that. Well, one of the things, as you know, Joe, one of the things we wanted to do, one of the things that's required of football is you have to build grit. And by grit, I mean stick to it, nest, the ability to get knocked down on that field and get up and keep going. That kind of grit is essential in any business, in any organization, in any person, in any family, because things don't always go right. And I think I think football has a unique way of doing that and teaching that. Now, I, I'm going to mention the University of Michigan, and I know that's kind of dangerous to do it. <laughs> uh, hey, listen, I'm a Michigan State guy, okay? Oh, yeah. So Ohio State people in Ohio, doesn't have, they don't have any problem with Michigan State. It's, it's that other team up north that they have problems with. Right. And in fact, Michigan State doesn't get along with that other team up north all that well. But what happens? Bo Schimblecker, who really has his roots in Ohio football, he said in the early days, while he was coach at the University of Michigan, he said, those that stay will be champions. Yes. Okay? Now, I like that phrase not only because it, it talks about football, but in the Malone context, it talks about those that stay will be champions in their academic life, in their vocational life, in their athletic life, and in their spiritual life. And that's that's the context into which we place football. Well, I, I have to tell you that you did. Um, it, it has always been wonderful to work with you. You you did an amazing job at Malone as far as the growth, um, starting football, um, doing many many other things. Football was just a part of it. Well, as I as I say, and you're you're correcting that, Joe. We built academic program. We built physical plant. I believe that we built influence. And and I right today, Joe, I don't know how many cars still go up and down fast Malone on what we had renamed on Highway sixty two going mm-hmm. to Alliance between mm-hmm. Kent and Alliance. We had that renamed by the state legislature in Ohio, Malone Parkway. Yes. Okay, because that said something about who we were, what we wanted to communicate, and and the nature of our educational process. Football was a part of that, but there was a lot more going on. I I had the distinct privilege of hiring numerous faculty. We had a chance to really reconfirm and and, um, reconfigure the board of trustees. And, And what it also did, it gave us a different perspective uh, on on the donor side and on the fundraising side, Joe, you know we started football and we didn't have a great facility. 
No, we, we had no had, facility. <laughs> we, we dressed did. in our li- in our in the dorm rooms. They dressed. But you see, that was the pioneer spirit. Yes, exactly. And, and the kids had vision. Why, there's a reason why Malone has always been uh, has uh, as a mascot and his model the pioneer and the pioneer spirit. Those kids and you coaches, you were pioneers. Okay, and and that opportunity was one that we couldn't pass up. It was there for the taking, but as I say, it gave us an opportunity to reach out, and you know, I, I went kind of door to door in those early days to raise a little capital to launch the program, and there were people that gave us money for that program. Absolutely, that never given a penny. I, I marched down the street to Dick Kenthorne, and I said, Dick. You've been an influence in this town. You've had this dealership here. You've been on the Hall of Fame board. You're an All-American. You know about football, and I need some money. And he wrote the check. Yeah, we had. I went out. We raised. Out we raised money for the sleds, for the goalposts, right. yeah. for the balls. We raised, and and you even said, Doctor Self, that 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 first year, in spite of all the startup costs and everything, the school made money. We did. You know, when when you put. Income against expense, we were on the, the positive side of that. And, you know, we never started football to make money. We did make a little money, but that wasn't the point. The point was to create an environment. And, Joe, you know, I don't know how much time we have, but I've got to tell you a story. I know uh, you didn't remember I've got, I've got just, a, just maybe two minutes. All right. First year we played football, we had a good athlete. I think in some respects he, he, he cost us the first game at Bethany through a kind of a boneheaded play. He was a good kid, but he had behavioral problems on campus, and he got into problems with you coaches, okay? And, and I, as I recall, you brought him in and said, okay, you've got, you've got some issues here on campus. You've got some behavioral issues that we've got to deal with. You've got some football issues, but you have to pay the price for your indiscretion. And I think you were going to have him do what, what we call hard 21s. Oh, we... They, they, early days, they did a lot of things. Well, <laughs> that big well, hill. Hard 21s, <laughs> you do, you, you stand up, you, you, you squat down, you do one yes. push up. You yes. stand up, you do two. All the way up to 21 and all the way down to 20, all the way back down to zero. So what happened is this kid didn't know that before he came in and had to do, take that discipline, which was very necessary in this case, our Team chaplain came in and did those hard 21s for him. And when the student came in, when the athlete came in, I believe you or chaplain said, hey, man, the price has been paid for you. I remember that. The price has been paid for you. The chaplain did the hard 21s, and you were forgiven. Somebody paid the price for you. I remember that. And I don't care. That was a strong message about the kingdom of Christ and Malone and, that, and, what, and what football was all about at Malone. And by the way, that young man turned his life around that day. And that's great. Dr. Self, I love you. And I thank you for all you have done, all you did. I wish you the best. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. and My pleasure. And God bless you.
Hey, all the best to you, Joe, and your family, and all our friends in Northeast Ohio. God bless. God bless. Take care. See you now. Bye. And now, here's Joe Palmisano on News Talk 1480 WHBC. You know, when, when we were talking to Dr. Self, Dr. Self talked about uh, Dick Kempthorne. And uh, Pam Cook is joining us right now. And Pam has some uh, very, very sad news to me personally. And uh, probably to most of Stark County. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, first of all, let me say that was a, a wonderful thing you, you did this morning, Joe. It was, uh, was really a, a good way to put a bow on it, as you said. Thank you. Um, and, I, you know, I'm sitting there listening to you, and I heard Dr. Self uh, mention Dick Kempthorne. And um, just a few seconds later, not kidding, um, uh, a family member gave me a call and told me that he, Dick Kempthorne passed away uh, overnight last night. Um, in his sleep, very peacefully, and uh, he was 92 years old. But his story is, I mean, I know I, I want you to share what you, you know, what he meant to you, but his story is um, pretty unbelievable, and what he meant to Canton, it's a pretty big deal. Yeah, I mean, he, he is um, an amazing man. He, he, you know, a lot of people don't realize they think of him as football, but he received the Distinguished Flying Cross in... Uh, the Korean War. Yes. Um, he, he is uh, a true, true, he was a hero. He was a, uh, a guy who, you know, played at Michigan and played under Fritz Chrysler, the legendary coach of Michigan in, in the 47, 48, 49 era after he was in, uh, you know, the Korean War and everything. So, I mean, it, it's... There, he's part of the greatest generation, as yes. far as I'm concerned. Yes, and you know he had he was like you said, just a an unbelievable football player at the University of Michigan and an MVP there, and um, he could have basically played for any NFL team that he wanted to, but he decided to come back and join his father's at that time Dodge Chrysler auto dealership, um, and uh, it just was amazing all of the things that he has done for this community and supported the community and you know he was still going to work at the uh, Cleveland Avenue store every day up until recently and um, he was just it was a guy that when I came to town 30 years ago you know that was the name that was the name everybody talked about and as a a special person and like you say uh, a true hero yeah he was and and he was very very um, very instrumental in welcoming me to the community uh, he and I would spend hours. Uh, there were two people in my life when I came to uh, to Canton to start the football program at Malone, and and one and they're two completely opposite sides of the spectrum. But one was Cheese Melito, <laughs> who I would spend hours with, just listening to stories about Canton and how Canton was, and 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 all that, and over pasta fazool that he would cook for us in the afternoon. And then the other one was Dick Kempthorne. And we spent a lot of time just talking about football, talking about life. Um, you know, I'd sit in, his, in the showroom and just talk with him, go up to his office and we'd talk. Uh, he, he actually provided me a car for, for a short amount of time when I was getting acclimated 
to coming here um and and he was very those two men were very very important to me uh in 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 kind of welcoming me and telling me about canton and about stark county and it was great yeah i know he means a lot to a lot of people and um there's a couple of folks that i want to try to get on my show on monday to to remember him but i definitely wanted to make sure you know that we talked about him because it was just very very ironic and apropos that uh you know I, I was able to come on and talk to him with you this morning. I think that was a, a real special thing. Yeah, and and especially along with with the fact that uh, Doctor Self talked about how important yeah. he was and how how Dick Kempthorne helped the program at Malone greatly um, in the initial phase, and how he was a major part of it, and really saw um, a, a need for it there. He really yeah, they, did. They were they were great partners with WHBC as well because for years, uh, you know, uh, Bob Crailing would do a Saturday morning broadcast from the uh, Kempthorne dealership. I mean, that was a that was a big radio show back in the day, and um, so they became great partners with us, and they still are. So um, I'm just I'm glad you're in the chair this morning to be able to talk. About yeah, it. it's a sad sad day, but it's it's um, uh, you know I, I look at these things, Pam, and and. You get sad because you miss people, uh, and you miss those people, and you realize that people like Dick Kempthorne are not going to be replaced. Never. Um, he, he was a very unique person, very unique man. And uh, But I also celebrate an incredible life lived to the fullest. I mean, Dick Kempthorne did everything well i mean you fly you get the distinguished flying cross you go to michigan you win a national championship you're a great player you start you get your car dealership you keep it going and it's thriving and and uh it's a we we should look back and celebrate as long as you know being sad about him being gone and missing him physically but but celebrating a great life lived yes and our condolences out to his family as well this morning. So. Absolutely. Thank yeah. you, Pam. Oh, thanks, Joe. I, I'm, I'm glad I uh, was able to get in touch. Yeah, I am too, and I appreciate you calling in and telling us that. Thanks so much. Thanks. All right. Um, what do we have to do, John? Got a little bit of time here. You know, I, I loved Dick Kempthorne. He was a real person. You know, and, and you can't... You can't say these things now, I don't think. I almost hesitate to say this. But Dick Kempthorne was a man's man. You know, and that's a that's a probably a slam nowadays. But he was like to me, he was like talking to John Wayne. No, I mean I I, I think that's still used. I hear I people don't think so. I don't know. I mean I've I've often heard people say that, you know, I'll, I'll refer to friends of mine and say that that's a guy's guy you know kind of like the person well, you that said you, guy's guy i'm talking about man's man uh, he was a he was a he looked imposing he he was he was deep he was uh, uh he was just somebody that commanded respect when i was talking to to mr kempthorne he was just a guy that that i i just you know, I just kind of like 
oh my gosh, I was in awe of him and what he had accomplished and what he had done. And when he spoke to me, it meant something. I took, I took that into my bones, so to speak. That's the kind of guy Dick Kempthorne was. Well, and obviously a player at Canton McKinley as well, and a star for the Bulldogs back in the 40s, played under Bup Rierich at yeah. the time at McKinley. And, you the know, Rierich men. Yeah. You know, and, and, and they were, and, and it was interesting that you said part of the greatest generation, because you think about, you know, that time period, people born in the the 20s and, you know, the teens and the 30s in that time, you know, all of those people, they lived through World War II, they lived through the Depression. Thank you. You know, and, and they lived through so much heartache. And they didn't make excuses. No. John, they lifted themselves up. I Dick know. Kempthorne is a perfect example of a man who, who, a person who did everything, who, who was just, I'm going to put it, just like Pam said, he was at the, I remember going to, stopping in and seeing him when he was in his late 80s. Hmm. And he was still there every day. He was that kind of guy. There aren't, you don't replace them. You can only go on, but Dick Kempthorne, just like Dick Kempthorne will never be replaced. And you know what? The other guy that I knew, who's on the, who, who really I thought was a great man also, but really totally different, was Cheese. And you'll never replace Cheese, Cheese Melito in Stark County. They will never be, some of those guys, you will never, ever see their likes again. Um, and, and you know, those were the two men that, that, that I hung out with that taught me about the history of Canton and about the, the grit of Stark County and Canton. It re- they really did. They taught me that, everything about it. And it was like sitting at the, at the feet of a, of a teacher um and and listening to the stories from both of them and Dick Kempthorne is was a great great man. I absolutely loved him. The way that you you speak about those stories of Stark County, that's the way that it was for me growing up with my my papu who's still around. He, you know, I all I have to do is say a road in Canton and he has a story about it yeah. or he has a name that he can drop or he has, you know, something that he remembers. You know, it, it may be just a a, a small part of of Ohio as a whole, but what happens in this city? There's been a ton of history here. It's it's very unique. The people, Dick Kempthorns, the from Dick Kempthorns to the Cheese Molitos and everybody in between. It's a very unique place, very special place. We've got to go. I know. Um, we'll talk more about this on the other side. It's the week that was with Joe Palmasano. Our number three, three of the week that was. What were you trying to say to me? I was saying you have the longest darn cuts. You just, it's like I, I was listening to a whole game in that cut. That's what I said. You asked me. Now I'm telling you on the air. I wish you wouldn't ask me. I'm, I'm, I, try, I try to. I try to give the people the synopsis. I try to give the people a little bit of what they want. Oh, they want that long cut. 
They well, it gives him the score, the time, and then I just, and then some. He lost it and he recovered it. Yeah, it was it was a. That's know, important. That, I agree. I agree. I had to I, tell them what was going I, you, on. You just asked me. I I told you. I, I wanted you. to know. I, I appreciate that. So, well, okay. I, I I appreciate your feedback. Well, thank you from across the table. <laughs> I appreciate it. I so John. <laughs> You know, we've talked a we've in in previous shows before you um, were here. No, you were here, but you weren't here on Saturdays. Cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, all those things. Yeah, you know, people invest millions of dollars in there, and we finally found a flaw in that whole system. Mm. And this is true. A company lost $190 million in cryptocurrency. Just recently, just this past week, $190 million in deposits have disappeared from, uh, it's a, a company called Quadriga CX. It was a cryptocurrency company. People invested $190 million in this company. And you know what happened? You know how they lost it? How? Well, I was wondering if you were going to say how. No, I'm, 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 as I'm talking to you, I'm looking this up. The, the CEO died. He was 30 years old. He died. <laughs> and he took the password with him. Oh, no. He's the only one that knew the password. <laughs> I swear. Oh, no. So $190 million are locked up somewhere, and no one knows the password. I'm reading this article now. It says there's no denying that Bitcoin is a risky investment. Well, duh. Now we know why. Well, any risky or any investment is risky, but considering what happened to this group of investors... Oh, my goodness. How would you like to be somebody who invested, I don't know, 10000 100000 into into this cryptocurrency, and the CEO dies and doesn't leave anyone the password? CEO and founder Gerald Cotton passed away in early December. Thank you. Cotton was the only person on earth who had <laughs> access to... To exchange accounts, passwords. No, oh, thus my. the God. Achilles heel, the kryptonite in cryptocurrency. It is there. Oh my <laughs> God! How many times? Oh, I forgot my password. But now, know, and then it just says "forget password," <laughs> and you just like click on that, and you're like, "Oh, well, let's reset it." Uh. That absolutely, yeah, that is unbelievable. So, $190 million vanished. And you, I, can anyone go in and go, and you can't even do password recovery because, all right, what's your username? I don't know. You know, maybe they could track this down somehow, but $190 million disappeared. So, don't invest in cryptocurrency, folks. It doesn't work. I don't care what Quadriga CX does. For the rest doesn't of, do anything of now. their time on this earth, they will never overcome this blunder. I know. <laughs> never. I wonder how many other places I forgot. I didn't give the password. 
It is uh, 20 degrees outside. You're looking for a high today, I think, of 25. There's another story that came up this week that is maybe because I'm old, older, maybe because I've been on the earth for a while, but I still can't grasp this, folks. I want to be inclusive. I want to be uh, a, a person who gets it, who is who is who includes people, who is tolerant. But the state of New Jersey just passed a law this month that a parent can opt out, or a hospital or anybody can opt out of putting a gender on a birth certificate. Now, I don't, you know, you could be any gender you want to be. But legally, on a birth certificate, now, starting February 1st, there is a new category in birth certificates in New Jersey. Undesignated or non-binary. What the, what does non-binary mean? What, and, and undesignated? Look, you're either, you're either a boy or a girl based on your physical being. How does a newborn that just came out of the womb have any idea what that person is going to be? But aren't we making it a mess in their lives by being an adult and saying, well, I think my child, I think we'd rather have undesignated for him or her. We'd rather let them choose at about two years old what they want to be. Non-binary refers to where someone doesn't exclusively identify as masculine or feminine. and Yeah, and, uh, a, and a brand new baby that's just born hours earlier understands all Well, no, that. I'm just explaining to you that. No, I, you know, I, I get Because I, I know some people who are. Non-binary. Who do ident- identify as non-binary? And, they put it on their license. I'm I'm not sure. Okay. I'm not sure. I've never asked that question. I, I, I don't get this. I don't. I just can't wrap my arms around how many genders are there now. I think there's like seventy. I think there's actually like seventy genders now. You could be anything. You could be tree. I'm tree-like. I'm I'm rock-like. I'm a chameleon. I'm going to change daily. Come on. No, we are so screwed up. We are so screwed up. Just be a man and a woman, and then choose what you want to do after that. But you're either a man or a woman. And, and go ahead and get mad at me. I don't care. I don't mean you, John. You can get mad at me, too, if you want. But anybody out there, I mean, I, I just, I, I'm. What makes it, because I know you said you, you want to be inclusive, and, and I appreciate that comment to start. Oh, gee, thanks. No, no, I, I do. I really do. <laughs> I do. Because because there's a lot of people that, that don't want to try to. I, I just can't grasp gender, John. Sure. And, and a lot of people don't. Gender. But a lot of people don't even want to try to understand. So, so be. Be who you are. Be you. 
depending on who that is, does it really matter if you're labeled M or, or F? Does it really matter on your birth certificate if you're labeled M or F? If I later on in life want to be unique, and if that means acting a different way, then do it. Why do we have to make it a, a universal thing that we now put on birth certificates? Why can't I be me? Why can't I be an individual? Why do I have to be lumped into a category? That's my point. So you're saying do away with the category altogether? No, I'm saying you're male, female, based on your physical being. That's that's the chromosomes that you have in in your body that causes you to be either male or female. If you want to decide to be somewhere in between as you grow older, great. But let's not let the parents decide that this person upon birth is going to be gender X or non-binary. How ridiculous is that? How ridiculous is that? I know a lot of people don't want to have a gender for a kid or identify using gender terms as in pronouns gender pronouns to why not not essentially to create the fact that you know spit it out i suppose if you want to go there to create the fact that it can be anything you want to perceive it as but but who who do you as a parent you have a right to take a, a child that doesn't know was just born and say, I'm not going to designate you anything. I suppose if it's a law, I mean, they're allowed to do it. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I think the law is stupid. It's stupid. You know, let people be who they are. Let people grow up who they are. Be inclusive of people. Be inclusive of people, of of whether they're they're gay, straight, lesbian, whatever. Be love them, care for them, see them as individuals. I've got friends, I've got people I absolutely love who are lesbian and gay. You know what? They're lesbian and gay, but they're, they're and they're individuals. I don't look at them as a collective. Do you know anyone who's transgender? Yes, I had him on the show. Did you? Yes, I had a whole show, a three-hour show with two transsexual people. Okay. Who actually changed from female to male. And I had them on the show. And we had a long discussion. And I met them at Starbucks and I talked to them. And you know what? They're wonderful people. I don't get it, but they're wonderful people. And so you look at people's individual. Nowadays, we want to label. And so, and, I, and my whole point is, a brand newborn that comes out of the womb, just comes out of the womb, and by the way, was delivered, the parents should give that person male, female. Or don't label them at all. I don't care. But give the person male, female. That's what's on there. And let that person decide. As, as he or she grows up, who they want to be. This is crazy. It's crazy.
And there are too many genders. There are way too many genders. If you ever look that up, John, you will be blown away. And there's added to it every day. How do people keep straight? It's wonder why we're insane nowadays. Because people don't even know who they are. They don't. You're shocked that I had transsexuals on the show, aren't you? No. You're shocked. No. You're shocked. No. They were they were great. But you know what? When I met them at Starbucks, and this is a true story, and I don't think they would mind me saying this. I met them at Starbucks, and they both had beards. Mm-hmm. One was balding. And I said, so... When are you going to change? When are you going to have your go through your change? And they said, <laughs> "We already did." And I was I was embarrassed, but I was kind of laughing because I said, "Wow." Yeah. I mean, I know a number of transgender <clears throat> people and and you can't Is it transgender or transsexual? Transgender is what I've always said. Isn't transgender when you just think you're, you just change your gender and transsexual is when you change your whole sex? I thought they were both the same thing. No, they're not. <laughs> they're actually different. I know there is like a, a line of, of difference there. A demarcation point. But no, I mean, you know. So do you know transgenders or transsexuals? Ooh. I know someone who was a a woman at birth or and had the surgery and had had the I'm hormones? not sure if they had the surgery but they're a man now okay it's very clear too okay so so they went through the hormonal change yeah yeah like these so, two did okay these two individuals did so anyway i just thought that was odd i'm i'm kind of sick of it is this this whole thing and the government getting involved in it just let people be who they are form your own life Find yourself. Don't let the government... government. And, and when we get into that, when we come back, I'm going to talk briefly about um, the, the way the Democratic Party is going further and further left. And I'm wondering if the presidential candidate will end up somewhere in the middle like Joe Biden or if it will go all the way over to the left. It's going to be interesting. We're going to talk about that when we come back. Stay tuned. Join hands, join the love train, love train. Joe Palmasano on News Talk 1480, WHBC. Joe Palmasano, that's me. With John Bazika, J. David Ress. Um, you know, to wrap that up real quick, when we were talking about all the genders and everything like that, somebody, Ted, called in, and he had a great point. I learned this from coaching. Young people will only rise to the expectations that a, that you set for them. And they crave expectations. They crave direction. A directionless child will go wherever social media and anything takes them. To say that Oh, I'm going to let my child. You, there, there's a there's a fine line between letting your child discover 
or letting a young person discover who or she or he is. But there's also part of that that you put parameters around so they can only go so far until they're ready to go off on their own. By by not giving them those parameters, you subject them to whatever influence comes into their lives other than you. And that's scary. And though all these things are, are, are nuts. It is still 20 degrees outside. I wanted to get into this... Um, uh, you know, President Trump and his address, which was, by the way, CBS and Washington, uh, the Washington Post, also the Wall Street Journal and everybody um, universally uh, agreed that it was a it was a good speech. I, I don't think he delivers a good speech. I'm going to put it that way. I thought that the content was good. I don't like the way he speaks. It doesn't stir me. But the content, I liked. Um, And he talked about socialism. And we saw, and he he did a good job of laying out Venezuela before he went into socialism. Because Venezuela, as you know, was a very wealthy country, oil-rich country, that is now one of the poorest countries in the world as far as the people living there. But the, but the people in charge are traveling around the world, eating at fine restaurants. That's socialism. It's only good for the people who run it. And so now, and he mentioned about, hey, there's people in our country who want socialism. There are many in the Congress and an answer to this is the Green Deal. The Green Deal, which has been endorsed by 40 House Democrats and several presidential, Democratic presidential candidates, does this. These are some of the things in the Green Deal. United States must rebuild every single building in the U.S. It says upgrade or replace every building in the U.S. for state-of-the-art energy efficiency. Every building. will end traditional forms of energy in the next 10 years. 10-year plan to mobilize every aspect of American society at a scale not seen since World War II to achieve net zero greenhouse gas emissions. Now, that's great, but think about the cost of these things. Think about what's going on. Plan to ban nuclear nuclear energy in 10 years. That's clean. Ban air travel. Ban air travel. Build high-speed rail at the scale where travel, air travel stops becoming, this is, these are the words inside the green energy, becoming necessary. They're actually talking about building railroads across the ocean so that we don't have to take planes. 
don't invest in any new technology that has involves carbon. It's going to include a carbon tax. So you knew that was coming. May include cap and trade. This is what they're proposing. Within the Green Deal also, they're proposing a guaranteed minimum wage to every person. Now it says a guaranteed job for any person who wants one. That's the language. But then it goes on to talk about a guaranteed wage for everyone. Now, you want to strip a person of dignity, of purpose, start giving everyone a guaranteed wage. It'd be tough for me to, to want to achieve something, I guess. And people would say, well, it's just like a minimum wage, just let it go. But I think the Democratic Party, I think John Kennedy... Um, People prior to him, even Roosevelt, would be thinking, this is a little bit too far. I'm hoping the Democratic Party comes around. The um, the one guy, the independent that I'm interested in is Schultz from Starbucks. The other one I would love to see is Joe Biden bring some sense and sensibility back to the party. Um, but I'm, I fear... It's, it's going to end up being a race. Plus, they're also talking about there's a fight now between candidates saying, do we? I want to go 70% taxes. And then another one says, no, I think we should go 90. I'm waiting for 100% to pay for all these things. And watch how quickly people move and leave and close down businesses and stop hiring. It's, it's very interesting. I'm hoping they come around. I would like to see the Democratic Party of my father, of my mother, of everybody in my family come back around to be, have somewhat sense and not go completely far left. And vice versa, I'd like to see both parties come together. In the middle. All right. We'll be back with our contest. And to wrap the show up, right after this. All right. It's contest time. You could win a $50 gift certificate to Bell Stores. I suppose you could use that for just about anything you want, including gas. So, I'm going to go. What do I do, John? Can I erase all these and start over? Yeah, just take it and then drop it. So no, like, I'm just going to go ahead and take caller number two. What's your name, please? Lynette. Lynette? Lynette. Lynette, how are yeah. you? Fine. How about you? Good, Lynette. Is this the first time you've ever called? No, actually, it's the second time. Oh, okay. <laughs> my son. Uh, I was trying to win this for my son. Oh, awesome! You are wonderful. <laughs> well, thank Thinking you. of I'm others before you even win it. Lately. Pardon? 
Not too many people tell me that lately. Oh, I bet. You know what? <laughs> They're thinking it. They're thinking it. Just the fact that you're giving, you're you're calling in, taking the time so that you could give a gift to your son makes you wonderful. Well, thank you. You're welcome. And I, I really appreciate your show, Joe. Thank I you. Listen to you every Saturday. Thank you, Lynette. I um. I'm, I hope you get these right. In fact, I'm going to coach you if I need to. Okay, good. Sandra Day O'Connor became the first female to serve on the Supreme Court. Which president appointed her? I would say Ronald Reagan. You would. Yeah. And you would be right. Okay, good old that. Ronnie. I liked him. I liked him, too. He could communicate now. Um, counting the Chief Justice... How many justices are on the Supreme Court? Nine. Yes. Who was the first African-American to serve on the Supreme Court? Thurgood Marshall. Very, very good, Lynette. You have won this for your son, and I'm so glad. Oh, he'll be so happy. And you made my day, too, Joe. Oh, thank you. You're wonderful, too. Thank you. Have a good weekend. Well, Lynette, don't hang up. I won't. I'm going to put you on hold so John could get all your information, then you could come in the station and pick it up. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Stay stay patient, Lynette. It'll be a little bit of time, okay? Okay, I'm, I'm right here. You're not going anywhere. No. All right, hold on. Have a great weekend, Lynette. You, too. Thanks. All right. John. There are so many other stories. You know, a bingo night. Now, think about this. Bingo. I used to call bingo in El Paso, Texas. <laughs> I was a graduate assistant football coach. I had to make extra money. So I would go and call bingo at bingo night in El Paso, Texas. Now, as part, as part of the bingo, I had to tell people what was on the menu at the bingo hall. Your play-by-play work in bingo. I did. So I had to tell people. So now this is Hispanic crowd a lot. Mixture. And I said, by the way, as part of my advertising, they've got tortillas. And I swear I did. Tortillas. And everybody started laughing at me. Ah, And I'm like, what are you laughing at? Tortilla. I didn't know. That was, was just stupid. But anyway, a bingo night. Cops were called to a nursing home. A nursing home. Ooh, this, this is uh, getting juicy. On bingo night, after a brawl busted Oh, out. no. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a 79-year-old woman and an 86-year-old woman got into a physical <laughs> fight at their nursing home this week. Over an afternoon bingo session, the fight started because one of the women took someone else's regular seat. Oh, don't you ever do that. Then once it got physical between them, more of the residents joined in the fight. (laughs) The cops were were called. They were able to break it up, and fortunately, no one was seriously hurt. Dang, that's a... And they didn't file any charges. It's a really intense group of bingoers. Yeah. Don't take somebody else's seat. I know. You know today is National Pizza Pie Day? I did know that. You did? I did. And it's making me crave a pizza very much so. I don't like the word pizza pie, though. What is a pizza pie? 
Well, because it's you cut it in slices, it's like a pie? Sure. Surely. You can't be serious. <laughs> I am serious. Don't, don't call, call me Shirley. Shirley. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I want to thank you, John. Absolutely. Anytime, I love your John. input. You know, your input comes from a, a different era. It comes from a young man's era. And that's always great for me to hear and our listeners. You bring a good good point of view. Something, it's it's funny. We were talking about the, the yeah, gender We got to go, man. I know. We, we used go to ahead. have 45 go, seconds. Go it ahead. was something I was talking to Allie about that. You know what the gender discussion we were having is. You know there is a, a divide in in terms of you know your generation to my generation. Our perspectives. Yeah, yeah. and it's interesting to get that. I agree. I agree. And thank you. I uh, I want to thank J. David Russ. I want to thank Dr. Woody Self. I like calling him that. Dr. E. Arthur Self, the former president of Malone College, and you for listening. Have a great week. But more importantly, make something great happen. Talk to you next Saturday.